Well, good morning, everyone. In your Bibles this morning, if you would, the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. If you haven't brought a Bible with you this morning, there is um, words that are going to appear up here on the screen uh, for us as well. Colossians chapter 3. I want to talk to you this morning a bit about our life in Christ. Paul says in this section here, he says, Christ, who is our life. And I don't know about you, but that is something that I want. He's talking both uh, quantitatively, I think, in the sense that, that all believers are in Christ, but he's also talking qualitatively in the sense that there's a certain quality about our life in Christ. And he says it this way, that Christ, who is our life. That's something I think we all want. Because there is something about being in Christ and him being our life that meets every longing of our heart. Every desire our hearts ever had, he will meet that. Now, he might not meet it the way that we thought it would be met before we came to Christ or at a particular intersection in our life in Christ, but ultimately, Jesus will meet every desire of our heart. So Paul talks about this in verses 1 through 4, which we're going to talk about in just a second. And then in verses 5 and following, I think to about verse 11, he's talking about those things that we should stop doing if we really want to have this qualitative life in Christ, this this life where, where Christ is at the center, he is all and in all. And then from verses 12 down through the end, through 17, he talks about those things we should do. Life is never just things we don't do, but many times things we don't do, and then those things we do do to replace those other things. And he actually mentions a host of different things, but we're just going to focus on three of those things this morning. Let me mention them to you quickly. First of all, he says this, let the word of Christ richly dwell in your life. How do we have that quality of life in Christ where we can say along with Paul, Christ who is our life? Here's one way. Let the word of God richly dwell in you. Here's the second way. Cultivate a life of thanksgiving. Paul says a number of times in this passage, which we'll get to in just a moment, Uh, that we should give thanks. In another place, he says, give thanks in all circumstance. It talks about an attitude and direction of heart that we recognize that God is not far away on a vacation somewhere, but he is intimately involved in our lives, taking care of us, cultivating a life of thanksgiving. And then finally, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. This third point talks about, talks about uh, the comprehensiveness of the Christian life. That God doesn't want us to comp, uh, com, uh, compartmentalize. He doesn't want us to com, compartmentalize. I feel a little mentalized right now. Uh, 
He doesn't want us to compartmentalize different areas of our lives, but he's talking about let your life be comprehensive. Let Christ be in all. Let him be all in your life. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, let it be done in the name of Jesus Christ. So I think just with these three things, although he gives many, just with these three things, we can rekindle our life in Christ. We can rekindle it and make it uh, uh, greater, make it uh, hotter in our lives just by doing these things. I want to talk to you about those this morning. So let's read first and then we'll pray. I'll make a couple comments and then we'll go out and do it. Here we are, 3-1. Colossians 3-1. Therefore, you've been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with all its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through God, or giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we just want to say thank you like we've already prayed once this day, here anyway, for your closeness, and for your nearness, for your desire to walk with us. Lord, we know that you aren't in a faraway place looking at us going through our struggles, but that you are there with us. In every valley we ever go through, in all that we'll ever do, we can never flee from your presence. And so we just say thank you for your closeness and nearness here this morning. We want to say thank you for what you want to do in each one of our lives, even yet this day. And so, Lord, we pray together. Let your word come. 
Let it come into our hearts to bring the change, to mold us and to shape us into that image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your way, we pray, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, first of all, our life in Christ. Here, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed be revealed with him in glory. First of all, note this. Paul begins this section by saying, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, when he says therefore, he is referring to the previous two chapters in the book of Colossians. Now you may not know this, but Colossians is broken up into two easy, maybe not so easy sections, but two sections. The first section is talking about the Christian life, what God has done in our life. And the second part, which we're looking at today, part of that is the practical part of our Christian life. And so where Paul says here, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, he's talking about, he's talking about those things which he's mentioned in chapter one and chapter two, including this, that we have been rescued That Christ came to earth looking for us, searching for us to rescue us from the wrath of God to come. That was his desire from the creation of the world that he would have those that he would come one day and rescue out of the world. Rescue in this present tense and rescue for the life to come. God is on a rescue mission in the earth. He isn't standing far away waiting for us to claw our way to him, but he is actively coming after his people and the lost in the world. We are only partners with him. We don't have to do it all. We just simply have to be witnesses when God asks us to speak. We just simply have to speak out when he asks us to speak. So he has rescued us. He has also redeemed us. He has taken ashes and and given us beauty in their stead. He has taken a life and made it into something beautiful. He's redeemed us. And then finally, he has reconciled us. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that our sin separated us from God, that somehow we couldn't quite reach God because of the sin in our lives. But when Jesus Christ came into our life, he took that uh, um, barrier out of the way. He took that barrier out of the way and he reconciled us with God. And so now we've been rescued, we've been redeemed, and we've been reconciled. And... Paul refers to this as being raised up. We have been raised up in Christ. So Paul says, since these things have happened, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So he says, first of all, this since... Since you've been redeemed, since you've been reconciled, since God has done these great things in your life, well then set your mind on the things above. Set your mind on those things where Christ has seated. Set your mind on the things 
that now apply more greatly to your life than the things that are on earth. In fact, he says, don't set your mind on the things of earth. Doesn't the whole New Testament kind of point in this direction? Doesn't the whole New Testament tell us to walk according to faith? Doesn't the whole New Testament tell us to, to walk according to what is not seen and, and not to what is seen? Doesn't the Bible tell us to trust the Lord for, for our, our provision, to put him first, and then all these other things would be added on to us? Doesn't the Bible tell us to set our minds on the things above and not the things of the earth? That is the normal Christian life. That is the normal Christian life because he has redeemed us, because we've been raised up with him. Set your mind on the things above. And then finally, he says here in this section, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then also you will be revealed with him. He says in verse 11, Christ is all and in all. One of those reasons that we set our mind on the things above is because Christ is all and in all. That Christ is indeed our life. He is indeed our life. Many years ago, I had a friend who I've now kind of lost track of. Tom was not only introverted, but he was also shy. And so he was just a hard guy to get to know. His wife had come to our church. She loved the Lord. She was just so gregarious and outgoing and, and uh, um, uh, kind and just lovable. And, but Tom was also lovable, but just very introverted and very shy and very hard to get to know. Tom's wife, Peggy, was a believer, and Tom wasn't. And so I wanted to get to know Tom. I wanted to introduce him to Jesus. I wanted him to know what Jesus would do for him and what his life could be like in Christ. And so I befriended Tom, and I started to just just hang out with him on occasion. Tom loved horses. He ran the horse barn at the UW, and uh, he was a horse trainer. And so I knew if I could, if we were out to lunch or something of that sort, and I couldn't quite penetrate that shyness and that extrovertedness, that I could just ask him a question about horses. Now, this was kind of a double-edged sword because oftentimes when I asked him a question about horses, the conversation was over. I mean, it was entirely horses the rest of the time. But if I was in a bad spot, I knew I had that card to play. And so I'd ask Tom about his horses or about training or about uh, uh, running the horse barn at the UW. And, and as we talked about those things, Tom's eyes just lit up. They just lit up, they just got big, and, and all of a sudden that shyness just evaporated, and seemingly that uh, introvertedness as well. And he would begin to share all kinds of things about training horses and taking care of horses and, and, and those sort of things. You know, I speculate that horses were Tom's life. 
I speculate that out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth was speaking. I speculate that that horses were, were what he loved and what he gave his life for, what he thought about before he went to bed at night and what he thought about first thing in the morning. That's my speculation. You know, I think the early disciples were that way as well. Only not concerning horses, but concerning the Lord Jesus. As you read through the book of Acts, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was given, you read through those verses, and you see a church on fire. You see a church that's spreading like, like wildfire across the world. In Europe, and to Rome, and to, to Asia Minor, and it's just spreading like wildfire. And instead of those early disciples, I'm thinking now about John and Peter. You'll remember the early account of John and Peter going up to the temple. And they're on their way up to the temple and they see a blind man sitting by the gate. And they say, silver and gold have I none, but that which I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And they reach down, take him by the hand, and the man rises up and begins to walk. And he goes leaping and praising God for what, for what the things God has done. But the, the religious people of the day see this... And they say, we can't have this. So they bring him before the council. And they say, you guys can't be preaching Jesus. And their response is, we can't help but speak of him. We can't help but speak of what Christ has done in our lives. And it says at that point that they warned them. They warned them and they threatened them not to speak again about this Jesus. So what they do? They went out speaking and preaching about Jesus. And this time they come after him and they throw him in jail. And they're in jail and the angel of the Lord comes and rescues them from jail, opens the jail, the jail gates, and they go out. And guess where they go? to the temple, speaking and preaching about Jesus. So when the rulers of the council come and they want to bring him out of jail, they send someone and they, and they send someone to the jail and they come back and say they're not there. And they say, well, where are they? Well, they're in the temple preaching and teaching about Jesus. So they go to the temple and they get him from the temple and they bring him before them and saying, hey, we warned you guys not to teach anymore about this Jesus. And they said, we can't do anything else. We can't do anything but, but speak of him and the things that he has done in our lives. And then it says, after many warnings and after being flogged. Can I see the hands of those that have been flogged? Not too many of us. Oh, couple, couple. I'm thinking of my childhood. I got a few whippings when I was a, when I was a boy. I got a feeling that isn't half as bad as getting flogged. But these guys got flogged and beaten and then sent out saying, do not speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And then I love how that chapter, how that section ends by saying, and every day they went and spoke and, and taught uh, in the temple about the Lord Jesus. You couldn't shut them up. It was out of the abundance of their heart that they were speaking. 
Look, Christ was their life. And in the same way, Jesus wants that qualitative part of our life in Christ to be the same way. Not that we have to be extroverted or always talking about the Lord. But you know, when, when we are full of him, it is going to come out. When we are full of him, it's going to come out. It reminds me of this past week. Uh, Pastor Andrew and I were having a discussion in, in my office about prevenient grace. Who's even heard of prevenient grace, right? So we're talking about prevenient grace because we're going through it at Christian Life College. I mean, we're going through the topic. And uh, Pastor Tom walks by my door. And since Andrew and I are talking about this, I say, hey, Tom, come on in. I want to I ask you a question. So I ask him a question about prevenient grace. Now, right, most of us have never heard of prevenient grace. And I didn't really expect, I didn't really expect Tom to really know that much about it either. But we asked him the question, and right away, bam, 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 five scriptures. You know, pew, 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 pew. And I couldn't help but say, boy, you're really good at this. <laughs> and this is what he said. He said, uh, he said, well, you're pushing my buttons. Now, I think he was mixing his metaphors. I think what he really meant to say is, hey, you're, you're touching me in my wheelhouse. You're, you know, you're saying stuff that really, really uh, compels me on the inside. When Christ is our life, we can't, we can't help but speak. We can't help but speak. And so I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Not just not being able to stop speaking, um, but I want a life in Christ that is qualitatively beyond what I've experienced thus far. I want a life in Christ where I could say Christ is all and in all. Where I could say easily Christ is my life. Okay, so this is what I found. In the following verses, uh, starting at verse 5, Paul starts to give us just a few hints on how we might uh, qualitatively improve this this, uh, life in Christ. He says in verse 5, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you... Uh, laid aside the old self with all its evil practices, and you have put on the new self who is being renewed in the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Sinkian, slave, and free men, but Christ is all and in all. First of all, I see this. That there, are a need, there is a need to put away the things of the earth and the things of the world. 
There's a need to turn our back on our sinful past. There is a need to make it a habit in our lives of not doing these things. That there are certain things that really do hurt our walk with the Lord, whatever they might be, whatever they might be. Maybe there's, maybe we have a problem with lying or a problem with stealing or a problem with anger or a problem with uh, uh, a pornography or a problem with uh, uh, whatever. I mean, you name it. Those things will hinder our quality of life in Christ. Will it change our standing as far as our salvation? Absolutely not. We're not saved by works, and that does not, we cannot lose our salvation by works. That part has been set and sealed. But the quality of our life in Christ, it will affect. You see, the life that Christ has for us is a life free from the power of sin. That doesn't mean that we won't sin. That just means that we don't have to sin. Where once before Christ, we couldn't help but sin. But now that Christ has came into our life, the Bible tells us in Romans that he has freed us from the power of sin. And now we can live a life not free from sin necessarily, but from the power of sin in our lives. The life that Jesus has for us is a life of freedom. It is a life, a a beautiful life, a great life, an abundant life. But oftentimes to experience that, we have to leave those other things behind. We have to leave them behind us saying, say, I'm no longer going to, I'm no longer going to give myself to those things. Jesus said this, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, he shall find it. So what Jesus is saying is give up your life. Give that life up. Leave it behind. Die to that life and live for me and you will truly find the life that you're looking for. Too many times. Too many times we try to follow Christ without going to the cross. And what I mean by that is simply this. The easy way is to go around the cross and to, and to try to be good and to try to be fulfilled and to try to live the abundant life. But the abundant life is found going through the cross, going to Jesus and saying, I can't do this on myself. I am unable to do this. And when we lay our lives down before him, he shines through us. He picks up that old dusty person and shakes it off and sends us on our way with the spirit of God within us. And so Paul mentions a number of things here. None of them we're going to talk about. But just I want to say generally that part of it means leaving stuff behind. And he says here in this section, I don't know if you caught it. He says here, Put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. This is a beautiful, wonderful thing. That Christ is shaping us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a standard! What a standard! I mean, we will never be like Christ. We will never be like him in that sense. But we will come to that measure 
of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans, Paul says this. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Guys, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. That's his desire. That's the work of his spirit to purify us, to bring us along. And we begin to think more like him. We begin to act more like him. We become, as the Bible says, sanctified. We become, we become more holy, so to speak. That's really God's desire. That's really his desire to bring us along in this thing. And by bringing us along in this thing, he's given us abundant life along with it. So there's a renewal. So leaving these things behind and then putting these things on or doing these things. Now I have three things I want to share with you in just the next few moments before I close. I'm calling them habits. Habits. So habit number one, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. The word of Christ is essentially the word of God. I mean, specifically, it just means the message of the things of Christ. But for us today, we know even the Old Testament is pointing towards Christ. Obviously, the gospels are about Christ and Paul writes about Christ, so essentially he's talking about the Word of God. Let the Word of God richly dwell in you. This word, dwell, is the same word used for the Holy Spirit taking up residence in the believer. It's the same word where the Holy Spirit comes in and takes residence in us. It's the same word that speaks about God coming to earth and dwelling amongst us. It speaks of setting up a home, of making a dwelling, a place where you can abode, if you will. The Bible is saying that this word of God should dwell in our lives. It's not a passing thing that goes by us, maybe on a Sunday morning between uh, eight and, or what time do we meet? Never mind. Not a passing thing, but something that has its home in us. Like the spirit of God is in us, like, like God is in us, so the word of God should dwell in us as well. In fact, it goes beyond that. It says, let the word of God richly dwell in you. Richly dwell in you. The word simply means abundance. Let it be abundant in you. Let it be generous in you. Let it be overflowing in you. Let that dwelling be overflowing in you. Let the word of God be so abundant, so overflowing in your life that it comes out, you'll notice, in teaching, in admonition, in singing psalms one to another. We can't help but speak of what the Lord has done in our lives. This can be done in a number of different ways. Let me just give you some practical ways that this can happen. 
Three things. First, we must allow God's word to enter our dwelling. We must allow God's word to enter our dwelling. Back in the day when I first started preaching, probably 30 some odd years ago, there weren't many study helps unless you had a lot of money to buy and invest in a library. It was very, very expensive. And it used to be that you never had enough information. You never had enough help. But nowadays, the word of God is so abundant in our world. It is so abundant in our lives. I mean, you could go on the internet and find all these things. Nowadays, you have way more information than you could ever use. Read the Bible. Listen to it read by others. Use the internet. Listen to podcasts. Listen to teachings online. I've, I've, I don't think I've listened to my car radio for probably, I can't remember the last time I listened to my car radio because I, I have a little plug-in where I can plug in uh, sermons and teachings and, and that's all I really listen to in my car anymore. It's a perfect time to get the word of God in me. So my first point is this. I'm under this, under this heading. We must allow it to enter our dwelling. It's passing by all the time. There's, there's, there's so much uh, uh, of the word of God out in, in the world. We just simply have to open our heart to it, allow it to come in. Secondly, we must allow it to richly dwell within us. So not only open our heart to it, not only perhaps just listening to it, but going beyond that, letting it dwell within our hearts. Maybe like this. Taking notes when listening to messages so that you can look over them again at some later point. Studying the word of God in a group with other people. How about studying the word of God with a good commentary? You're going through, you're going through the Bible, but you're also reading what someone else has thought long and hard about. How about meditating on his word like, like the Lord said to Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Don't let this book of the law depart from your, from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, and then you will make your way prosperous. That word there, meditate, is, is, our, is our idea of, of uh, uh, I think the words ruminate, you know, like a, like a cow does with his cud. It's the idea of, of uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever you want to call that, and, and thinking about it some more. Ruminating on it. Meditate on his word. Pray over the word of God. I was a little embarrassed at the time, but no longer so. For months, probably three plus months, I was only reading on a daily basis two or three, uh, two or three verses. And for that two or three months... It was the same verse, verses. 
So every day I would go to my Bible to read my Bible thinking, today I'm going to go on farther past these three verses. I would get to those three verses and I would just hang on those three verses all during my quiet time on that day. I would just hang on those three verses. I would just think through those three verses. Pray about it. Think about it. And then when my time was up, I would go on with my day. And the next day I would come back thinking, hey, I'm going to get, do that and go beyond. And for, for over three months... I spent on just those three verses. I tell you what, guys, that word, those three verses were richly dwelling in my life. They were richly dwelling in my life because I took that time to do that. Not necessarily on my own, but the Lord saw that it would be so. And then finally in this, letting it dwell in us, memorize the word. Take time to internalize it, even if it begins just in a small way. Memorize the word. And then third, we must also allow it to leave. So first, we must allow it to enter. Secondly, we must allow it to richly dwell. Thirdly, we must allow it to leave. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. So let that word richly dwell in you. And when it does, it will overflow with teaching, uh, admonishing, and singing. One person once said that we really haven't learned the word until we've taught it to others. Now, I'm not thinking necessarily of preaching here. I'm not thinking of leading a Bible study. I'm thinking of something more like this, where the Lord says in Deuteronomy 11, 18, verses through 20, 18 through 20, he says this, You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontals of your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, ta- talking of them when you sit, in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. I would agree that we often aren't really learning the word until we're teaching it to others. Now, every one of us can teach the word. You don't have to be up front on a Sunday morning or in children's church teaching the word or leading a Bible study or a connect group. All of us can teach the word. I've grown fond of doing this over the last many years. When I see a situation where I think the Bible has something to say in a group of unbelievers, I'll say this. Well, you know what the Bible says, don't you? And I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it like that. Now, they have to say, what does the Bible say, right? Because if they don't, they're going to be rude. So I'll just say, well, you know what the Bible says, don't you? And I'll just leave it. And then pretty soon someone will ask, well, what does the Bible say? And I'll just tell them what the Bible says on that particular, particular uh, subject. It might not go any farther than that, but I'm planting the word of God in their lives. I'm planting the word of God in their lives just by simply saying, well, you know what the Bible says. It doesn't have to be preaching. It doesn't have to be teaching. It just has to be willing to speak the things that God has placed in our hearts. 
So let the word, number one habit, let the word of God richly dwell in your life. Here's number two habit. Habit number two. Cultivate a heart of thankfulness to God. Verses 16 and 17 say this. Let the word of God Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through God the Father. So the second habit to to raise that quality of life in Christ is to cultivate a heart of thanksgiving in our lives. The Israelites were warned a number of times before going into the promised land not to forget the Lord their God. Cultivating a heart of thankfulness begins simply with remembering the Lord, with remembering Him. Life can get so busy, it can take us in so many different directions. And we can get up in the morning, even if we think about the Lord in those early minutes of the day, it's easy to forget about him through the day. In fact, I know that there are many times that we could go days, perhaps, without thinking about him. This was the sin of the Romans in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Although they knew God, they neither honored him as God or gave thanks you see, it speaks of their relationship to the Lord. It speaks, of, it speaks of how they saw the Lord in their lives. We can be deists in our, in our thoughts. And when I say deists, I mean this. Deism says that God started the world like a clock, wound it up, and then just let it go and he went away. And it would be easy for some to live like that, where God doesn't really have a part in our lives, that yes, we believe he started things, yes, we believe he's, he exists, but we don't believe that he's intimately involved. That was the Romans' sin. They neither honored him as God, nor gave thanks. What the writer is saying here is that God is intimately involved in our lives. He is intimately involved in every way. And so our lives should be a model of giving thanks back to him. Thank you, Lord, for the things you've done. One of our pastors, we begin our prayer meetings on Tuesday mornings, our staff prayer, with just speaking of the things God's done in our midst. Some of those things are spectacular. Other things are very, very subtle. One of our pastors seemingly always shares about God's provision Thanking God for the breath of of the day. Thank God that my bills are paid. Thank God that I made it to the office this morning. Uh, Thank God. I mean, he's just talking about just the little things that God has done along the way. You know what that says to me? That says to me that there's an intimate connection there. That there there is knowledge that God is intimately involved in my life. Some of you might remember this old, old movie. I think the name of it was Shenandoah or something of that, of that sort. It starred uh, Jimmy Stewart. And in this old black and white movie, Jimmy Stewart played a farmer. And he was just having a tough time of it. In the, in the end, he, he gets everything squared away and he comes back uh, to his family and those sort of things. But during the middle of it, he is just having a tough time. 
His wife passes away and farming is just hard, very hard. And when she passes away, it just makes it doubly hard. But he always prayed before meals because he promised his wife he would. Here's one of his prayers. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it. We planted it. We harvested the crops and we fixed this food. We've worked until we're dog bone tired. None of this would be here if it wasn't for us. But thanks anyway. I got a feeling that if he would have thought about it just a little bit longer, he would have realized that the Lord gave him the strength to clear the land. That he gave those horses so that it could be plowed. That the very seed he planted was provided by the Lord. That the harvesting of crops only happened because God sent rain in its proper time. That although they worked until they were dog, dog bone tired, thank the Lord they had the strength to do so. True. Maybe without them, it wouldn't have been possible. But certainly without the Lord, it wouldn't have been possible. When we're giving thanks in our lives, we can begin by just acknowledging the small wonders of life. Paul says, give thanks in every circumstances. We can do that. We can thank God for the goodness that he has given us. Not only for who he is, but what he has done in our lives. As I talk about this, I can't help but think of a story I heard this past week of a pastor who was ministering in a leper colony. And at the end of his message, he was going to lead in a song. And when he when he asked the small congregation of lepers uh, what song they'd like to close in, one of them turned around towards him, revealing a face without a nose and lips had fallen off. And she raised her hand without fingers so that, so that he could call, call on her. And when he called on her, she said, I'd like to sing, Count Your Blessings. Remember that old song? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Wow! Wow! I mean, here are these people, they're lepers. I mean, they're, they're, their lives and bodies are literally falling apart. But they could find those things to thank God for. And certainly, certainly we can too. At those times when I find it difficult to find things to thank God for, I remember that probably 90% of the people on this planet would gladly change their best day for my worst day. Because of poverty and pain and disease and sickness, 
they would take my worst day, trade their best day for my worst day. And then it's easier for me to give thanks. So how do we raise this quality of life in Christ? Number one, let the word of God richly dwell in you. Number two, cultivate a life of thanksgiving. And then finally, three, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus simply means just for the sake of the Lord. Note carefully here the, the inclusive language that Paul is using. using. Whatever you do, Whatever you do, not just word or deed or in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, uh, whatever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Not just what we eat or drink or, or what we say or do, but whatever you do, whatever you do, do all. Everything you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, ancient culture was this way. There was many religions in that day, but most often they did not affect the individual life of the person. There were rituals that they did. They would go to the temple and do a particular ritual, and they'd come back, and it wouldn't affect their life in any other way. Paul is saying here that it, 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 it cannot be for Christ. It cannot be. He must permeate every area of our lives, whatever we do in word or deed. It must be all done unto him. He's speaking against compartmentalizing our life. He's speaking against, hey, in this arena, I'm a Christian. In this arena, I'm not. I think for some of us, I'm speaking in generalities. I don't really know if you're here, if this fits you, but, but in general, some of us, have bought into this notion of separation of church and state. That's, that's not even really in the Constitution. I mean, that's just a clever way of, of saying that, that, uh, that you know, if you, if you have Christian beliefs, you can't bring them into the political arena. I so loved so many years ago, uh, John Ask, Ashcroft's, um, um, uh, what do you call it, his confirmation hearings, uh, when he was being confirmed as the, as the sec, uh, um, what was John Ashcroft? Attorney General. Attorney General. Being, being confirmed as the Attorney General. And some know-it-all thought, thought he was going to stick John Ashcroft to the, to the uh, floor, you know, by saying, well, well, we know that you are a, a committed Christian, and we know that you have strong, uh, a strong Christian faith and strong Christian beliefs. And he went on for a long time telling telling John Ashcroft of, of how uh, impressed he was that he was a believer and held these strong morals and convictions. And then he said, do you think you can be the attorney general and uphold these laws that, that uh, uh, maybe go against your faith and, and that sort of thing? And then he closed it by saying this, do you think your personal beliefs will affect the way that you govern? I mean, in so many words, do you think your personal beliefs will affect the way that you govern? John Ashcroft said, of course, of course. I mean, how could you expect me to separate what I believe from who I am? I can't separate those things, but sometimes we try. 
Sometimes we try to separate. We're one way on Sunday and we're a different way the rest of the week. Or we're, we're one way at work and we're a different way when we're in this group of friends. Or we live life this way when we're here and this way when we're, when we're over here. The Bible says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. Whatever you do, do all in the name of Jesus. If we could live our lives in such a way, what would you do here, Jesus? What would you say here, Jesus? Let it bring glory to you. Let it be about you. Guys, if we could do these three things by his grace, we would elevate our quality of life in him tenfold, tenfold. Here's the problem. Everyone in this place has upward hopes. Upward hopes. We want to move forward. We want to move upward. But although every one of us has upward hopes, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, although all of us have upward hopes, oftentimes we have downward habits. So our hopes are upward, but our habits are downward. What I'm compelling you to do today is to change those downward habits into upward habits, to match your upward hopes, to just begin these three habits in your life, letting the word of God richly dwell in your life cultivating a life of thanksgiving unto the Lord. And thirdly, whatever we do in word or deed, doing all to the glory of Jesus. Let's stand together this morning. If you just close your eyes and bow your head and shut yourself in with the Lord, I just want to pray over you in just a moment. First, I want to say something. As your eyes are closed and you're just closed in with the Lord, I want to talk right to you, ma'am. You see, you've come today struggling. Struggling, just, just wanting more from your relationship with Christ, but not being, being able to find it. God has something for you today. God has something for you today. We cannot expect that we could do these things without his grace. But I just believe that God's grace is here. It's here that it's, that it's ours. That all we have to do is take just a couple of steps in that direction and, and we'll see the grace that he provides to help us to accomplish those things that we really want to do, that he really wants us to do. And for you, sir, you've come today longing 
for more of him. Longing for a touch. Longing that his hand would just rest upon your shoulder. But this morning, he's calling you upward. The Bible says that if we'll draw close to him, he'll draw close to us. It seems in this case, the onus is on us to first draw close to him. We cannot expect to do that without his grace, but his grace is abundantly present this morning. So as your eyes are closed and you're just shut in with the Lord there, I want to pray for you. And then there's those this morning, albeit a few, that have come and you just don't, you just don't know Jesus. You want to know him, but you haven't made that step yet. You haven't said, Lord, you must increase, I must decrease. You haven't placed your faith in him to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. To rescue you, to redeem you, to reconcile you, and to sit you, seat you on a firm foundation. But this morning you can do that. You can do it right now, but just, just simply doing this. Just saying, Lord, help. Lord, help. I need your help this morning. I know I can't do this by myself. Lord, I can't live up to my own expectations. How could I ever live up to your expectations? Lord, I am unable. Come, save my soul. Cause me to live forever with you in your kingdom to come. Forgive me of my sins and make me more like you. And Lord, for these that have come this morning looking for more of you, looking for the grace to find you, Lord, let it be theirs. Let it be theirs this day. Lord, let them realize everything that you have promised them for this day. Lord, let them realize that. Let them not depart without having received from you. And so, Lord, I'm praying that for those on my right, for those on my left, for those down front and those in the balcony. Lord, each person, Lord, we're receiving your grace to be what you want us to be. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, this is how we're going to end. Pastor Brian is going to lead us in a song. We'll all sing together before we go. When he begins to lead us, I'd invite the prayer teams down. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, you come. There'll be several people down here. We'd love to pray with you. If you're making a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, I would love to pray for you. I'll be right down here in the front. If you'll come down, I'd love praying, sealing that decision with you this morning. Let's sing this song. God bless you.